0: Well, it's been fun the last few weeks to have our little friends with us, but next week the children's area is going to be open. That's good. And I know every parent is excited. So uh, there you go. Hey, uh, are you back to watching sports yet? Everybody, anybody? I don't know if you're back to that yet. I, I kind of, I'm not into it just yet because I don't know. Anyway, um, so when I was watching sports before everything happened, by the way, we're talking about today being confident in the Lord. So we're in this series, and we've talked about, okay, we're kind of in an odd time. This is a unique situation in our world, and a couple of weeks ago we talked about, hey, even in difficult times, God is a rock. He doesn't change, and so He is consistent, and He's going to be the same forever. Well, that was a good reminder. And last week we talked about, hey, even though things are in turmoil and it's kind of a lot of moving parts... Um, we're designed by God, we have a, div- a divine design, and He has a purpose for us, and that doesn't change even though things might change. And so today we're talking about we can be confident that God knows what we need, and so we're really going to chat about that today when I was watching sports before, I started to just, I really didn't watch a lot of stuff live because I didn't want to waste my time if my team loses. And so I would tape these games and then I would sit, check the score and if we won, then I would watch it and if we didn't, I would delete. It's beautiful. It saves a whole lot of time. And so people are like, well, isn't there any suspense? Well, yeah, there's suspense because I need to figure out how they get to that final score. Now, back in 94, we had VHS, and that was kind of how we did things. And my, I think my mother taped a game for me, or I taped it, I can't remember now, but there was a game, Kentucky played Louisville, not Louisville, Kentucky played LSU in basketball. In Kentucky, we tolerate football season to get to basketball season. I know it's different here, but that's how it works in Kentucky. And so it was February 1994, we're playing LSU. We hate every SEC team. We hate you all. I mean, we hate them all. And so we're playing LSU. We didn't like them very much and they were 31 points ahead, 31 points in basketball in the second half. That's a lot of points. And all of a sudden, Kentucky makes a run, and they start hitting three-pointers. And I love re-watching that game, mostly because these are the uniforms. I mean, who doesn't love that? Uh, so we end up winning the game 99-95. to It was great. I love that. The thing I like about knowing the conclusion is I... I'm a little less worried, a little less stressed. And so when I watch a game and I know the score, and sometimes it's kind of funny, I'll look at the score and then I'll start watching the game and it's like, oh, it can't, it can't be what, what the final score, I must have read it wrong. And I'll go back and look at the score and sure enough, we win. And I can have confidence watching the game mostly because I know how things end. And there's this verse in Scripture, and we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 today, and we're going to look at kind of a larger chunk of text. This is a text that sometimes gets pulled out of context, and we misinterpret it. I'm going to help us interpret it rightly. But it says, My God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. My God will meet all your needs. It's a really important text. It's really important for us to understand this. And really, God wants us to put our confidence in Him. So we're entering an election season, and people are people get worried about it. It's like, oh, if my side doesn't win, then I don't have any confidence that the you know, country's going to continue. Or my side doesn't win, I don't like the way things are going, that kind of thing. And our confidence, if it's placed in men or politicians or pol- a political party or anything like that, is misplaced because our confidence needs to be in God. And sometimes people get... Overconfident, they, they think they're going to uh, be able to do something they can't do. And so I have a little video of this, one of my favorite videos. It's a guy in a race with a dude called the Freeze. And I'm going to show that to you. Freeze, they give the, uh, contested the Freeze gives start, them a head, head start. Watch this guy in the Freeze suit. is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Watch this, folks. I mean, the guy in what, a 200-foot head start? Leaves. I love this guy right here. Look at this guy <laughs> go. This guy is... Beautiful. All right, there we go. <laughs> Look at this the guy. Yeah. I <laughs> thought, he thought he was gonna win. I love it. Sometimes we get confident in our own abilities and that sort of thing, and today we're gonna kind of maybe shift our thinking to okay, I need to understand that this text is right. God will meet my needs. But if we take that out of context, it doesn't, it we can misapply it, and I don't want it to misapply it. So what we need to understand is With God, um, He wants us to build our confidence in His promises, in what He says. And so it's really important that we do that. Have you ever um, gotten a Whitman sampler? You don't know what those are, those with the chocolate things, and they have little compartments, and they're different. And you have to be able to read the box top to figure out what you're going to eat. You know what I'm talking about? And you have to be smarter than the box of chocolates, and sometimes I've done this. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I I look I try to diagnose which one is what. Maybe somebody's picked it up and put it in a different spot. I don't know, but I think I'm going to eat, a, a you know a, a chocolate caramel dream bite, and it ends up being a tutti frutti barf bomb. You know, and it's like I don't, it's not what I wanted. Well, you have to read the the context. You have to know what you're talking about. And so in this promise where God says I will supply all your needs, there's a Premise to the promise. There is, there's a, God often will say this, if you'll do this, then I'll do that. Often in Scripture. We do a lot of the taking the, God will do this part, but not, hey, I have to do my part. And so today we're going to really kind of talk about this is the wrapper that we find that text in. My God will supply all your needs. You have to understand the context of it. And so you got this guy named Paul. He writes much of the New Testament. Paul becomes a Christian. He has this amazing experience with Jesus. He becomes a follower of Christ. He was opposed to Jesus, has an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, becomes a staunch follower of Jesus and begins to plant churches. And so he'll go to this town and plant a church. And then once that church is established, he'll leave that church and go to this town and plant a church. And when that church is established, he'll go to this place and plant a church. And so he kind of has this mission trip where he's planting churches. But when he leaves that church, he, he keeps up with them. He doesn't just leave them. He, he keeps up with them. And then oftentimes he'll write back to the church. Hey, you guys are doing good. Or like in the case of the Corinthians, he'll write and say, Hey, man, you guys need to watch a couple of things. There's some stuff going on. We need to, you need to you know, check yourself before you wreck yourself. And so he writes these letters to these churches. And he writes this letter to Philippians, to the Philippian church. And it is a thank you note. Really important to say thank you when somebody does something for you. So the Philippian church had sent him a a gift, a a monetary gift. And so when Paul, when he's planting churches... He's not able to maybe work as much, and so he needs financial support. Just like we have missionaries at Southern Baptist, we have missionaries all over the world. We uh, collectively give. It's called the cooperative program. We give to the cooperative program so we can sponsor missionaries to do their work all over the world. Paul didn't have that network, and so he had people who would uh, give him money to help him keep up the good work. And the church at Philippi, the Philippian church, they sent him some money. And so he writes in his thank you note. And we're going to kind of read, we've got a couple slides here of this. Paul says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So, you can imagine how lonely it is if you're going to a town that has no church and you're trying to establish a church. And you're trying to find some people of like mind and you can teach and you can grow. And it's lonely And he felt abandoned sometimes and alone sometimes. And what he's saying is, I know you were concerned for me, but now you had a chance to show it. I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. Great verse, by the way. These are great verses. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, or through Him who gives me strength. Also, a verse taken out of context a lot of times. This doesn't mean you can run a four-minute mile. This means that God will help you get through situations. So that's what Paul is saying. I was kind of in a down place. I'm I'm doing some work, but I don't. I'm not financially supported. I didn't feel like anybody was, you know, had my back. And now you Philippians have sent a gift, and it has encouraged me and emboldened me. Is kind of what he's saying here. Um, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, it's a town, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you. A lot of places had opportunity to be generous and to be helpful. You're the only ones that were. Um, For even when I went to Thessalonica, you uh, you sent aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire... "...is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus..." That's a dude who brought the gift. uh, "...now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Because you gave, God will give." So the premise and the promise are this, that God blesses the generous. That's what we're going to talk about today. I used to be, and I kind of still am, a little reluctant to talk about giving. Today it really isn't about giving, like to the church. This is just developing a generous lifestyle in your life. Because honestly, there are givers and takers. It's kind of, You fall into one category or the other. And when you have a self-analysis of your life, you have to figure out, am I a giver or am I a taker? Am I one who looks for opportunities to serve and to be generous and do more and over and above? Or am I a person that's constantly looking out for number one and taking advantage and and always about me? Which kind of person am I going to be? And so the scriptures tell us that God blesses the generous. And so the Philippian church, because they had been generous, Paul is saying, Hey guys, because you're generous because you've served, because you've sacrificed, now you can expect God's blessing. My God will supply all your needs because you've been generous. You've given what you have. You've sacrificially given what you have. There's three reasons really to be generous. Number one, it encourages others. It encourages yourself. You have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, You Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. Now, what you need to understand about this town and about this church is they weren't wealthy, and these weren't wealthy people. Philippi was kind of a not-wealthy area, and the church was full of not-wealthy people. And yet they were able to give. I don't know if you know this, but research has proven even in America, the poorer poorer people are more generous than wealthy people. Sometimes we think to ourselves, "If I just had more, I'd give more." Not so much. Jesus, in fact, said, "Those who can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. If you're generous with little, you'll be generous with much. If you have much, it won't make. If you're not generous with little, you won't be generous with much, because." What's in your heart will show wherever you are socioeconomically. There's a guy by the name of Ken Eisenhold, and he writes for Psychology Today. For decades, surveys, he says, for decades, surveys have shown that upper-income Americans are particularly uh, undistinguished as givers when compared to the poor. There's another guy by the name of Paul Piff. He writes this, "Um, lower-income people were more generous, charitable, trusting, and helpful. Now, when I think about what God wants, what the character God wants for me, what the character God wants for you, I would think those words would apply. Generous, charitable, trusting, helpful. I mean, if you think about it, isn't that what you think God probably wants, uh, how, how God wants us to be described? Well, that Joseph, man, he's generous and he's charitable and he's trusting and he's helpful. I mean, those are great words to be said. And in Scripture here, in, in Proverbs, it says, The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. And So it's not so much if I had more, I'd give. It's what you have, you give. You look for opportunities to give. You don't try to manipulate God. Sometimes we'll pray, you know, God, if I had more, then I would give more. It's like, you know, that's... That's just not true. I, have you noticed, I don't know, I, I'm getting older, you know, and I kind of look at people and I look at young folks who achieve fame and fortune and then a lot of times their lives kind of crash and burn. Maybe they die early or they die of overdose, that kind of thing. And I don't know about you, but when that happens, I look at that and I think to myself, man, that's really sad. I'm sorry that that happened. And, and have you ever put yourself in their place? Because I've done that just recently. It's like, okay, well, if I was... This guy, if I had that kind of wealth, if I had that kind of fame, how would I have handled that? Because they're not handling it well, but who's to say I would have handled it any better? And frankly, I'm, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have because I have this compulsive um, uh, personality. And, and so you know, I can just see me not dealing well with lots of things. Maybe God wants us to be generous and charitable and trusting and helpful and the reason He keeps us not having too much is because that's what He wants us to be. Have you ever been thankful for what God didn't give you? I mean, I just recently, it's like, Lord, thank you for keeping me from messing up my life because if I had tremendous fame and if I had tremendous wealth, I just don't know what I would do. There's something about giving that is, and, and, being, and receiving a gift that's, it's, it's, it's life-giving, honestly. Several years ago, Miriam and I and the girls were moving from Kentucky to Michigan, about an eight-hour drive from Kentucky to Michigan. We rented a U-Haul, 26 foot, the biggest one you can get, and we loaded it to top to bottom as tight as you could load it, and we still had several things in the garage that needed to go to Michigan. I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was, I was thinking about, okay, maybe I rent another truck and we go up and, you know, I drive one and Miriam drives one. That wasn't super comfortable for us. And I had a buddy who helped me pack that day. His name is Van, Van Bug. Van had been a friend. He wasn't really a member of that church in Kentucky, but had been a member of another church in Kentucky that we had served. I hadn't really been his pastor for seven or eight years, but he volunteered to come help load the truck. Super nice. And he was there, and he noticed our dilemma, our predicament, and he said, well, man, I've got a trailer. I'll go get my trailer, and we'll load it up, and I'll take it to Michigan for you. Now, the guy works. It's not like he didn't have a job. And so he called his boss, and he said, man, I'm going to need tomorrow off. And he went an hour to get his trailer, and an hour back, and we loaded that trailer. He helped all of that. The next day, we sort of make a little carpool. We drive up to Michigan. He uh, delivers the stuff. He helps us unload. He gets, in his, he gets in his truck, pulling his empty trailer, and he drives to Cincinnati for a meeting the next day. I'll never forget that. Just honestly, that sort of generosity to give of your time and your, your resources, we were stuck I really honestly, seriously was kind of figuring out, what am I going to do? And I'll I'll never forget that. I talked to him the other day via text, and I said, man, I'm going to talk about you this week. And it's funny, he said, (laughs) he is really funny. He said, are you going to talk about me helping you get up to Michigan? It's like, yeah, I am. Um, Van, if you watch this, uh, I'd like you to remember that I helped you move one time. So it's almost the same, almost exactly the same, except all I did was unload one little truck. But almost the same. That guy, I'll never forget it. And so Paul is writing about a church that did kind of the same thing for him. He was in need financially, and this church, this Philippian church, they, they helped him. And what we need to understand is that we're never more like Christ than when we give. Christ is a giver, God is a giver He gives life, He gives health He gives love, He gives relationship He's a giver and we're never more like Him than when He gives and Paul is talking to another church about the Philippian church in this text the Corinthians now the Corinthian church had some wealth and so what Paul is saying is hey guys, hey guys there's another church, not your church there's a church over in the town of Philippi and man they really helped me look what he says I can testify that the Philippians gave not only what they could afford, but more. And they did it out of their own free will. Of their own free will, I didn't ask them, they just did it. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They begged us. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about the generosity of a church that looked for opportunities to give, to be generous. And here I am, I'm trying to think how long ago it was that we moved to Michigan, probably uh, 2005, 15 years later, and I'm still talking about that, and I'll, I'll talk about it. He, I will remember fondly my friend Van for what he did for us because we had such a need, and I didn't ask him to help us, and he volunteered to help us. I, I'll just never forget that. I'll just not forget it. And I think Paul has that kind of same feeling... I can't forget what these guys did because it meant so much to me. It is an encouragement when we give. It really is. The second thing, and this is really important, is it's an investment in the future when we give. Though I appreciate your gift, what makes me happiest is the reward you'll have because of your kindness. Reward is a banking term. It means accumulated interest. Jesus one time said that if we give, it is multiplied a hundredfold. That's 10,000% interest. That's pretty good. I don't know if you know anything about banking, but if you can get anything with 10,000% interest, you really should go for that. You ought ought to do that. I I love this because he's like, hey, uh, you have a reward. And evidently, the way I read this, there's an account in my name in heaven. Because I follow Jesus. And you too. If you have a a relationship with Christ, you have an account and they're keeping score. They're not keeping score like for you to get into heaven, but they're keeping score of what you're doing as a follower of Jesus. And every time I'm generous, then I get get credit for that. And it compounds interest. It's 10,000% interest. Now... If I were to go up to the bank that used to be Greer, and now I can't remember the name because it's changed seven times, Uh, but if I go uh, to Greer National Bank, or whatever it is now, and I say, hey, um, tell me what interest I've earned. I'd like to know my interest. And they would look up my account, and they would say, Mr. Vest, you don't have anything invested here. And I would say, I know, but I'd really like to know what interest I've earned, and they would ask me to leave because that is really not smart. I mean, it's really, it's, like it's, it's really a dumb thing to ask. I don't get interest on what I don't invest. You don't either. It's the same thing in heaven. If I invest, I get interest. And so, every time I serve, and every time I give, and every time I'm generous, and every time I, I um, um, encourage, those are things for which I get interest. Uh, This is a cool verse. This is Paul writing a young pastor. Give happily to those in need. Always be ready to share whatever God has given you. By doing this, you'll be storing up real treasure for yourselves in heaven. It is the only safe investment for eternity. I don't know about you but I have uh, I have uh, some retirement savings and when the covid hit and everything kind of went crazy and the stock market crashed if you're like if you watch the markets that is not a good feeling I, I you know it was like oh we're doing great we're doing great and all of a sudden boom it just kind of crashed and it went down and that's it is really really disconcerting What I love about this is when it says it is the only safe investment for eternity. If you invest in the stock market, you know what they'll tell you? It's volatile. The market goes up and down. You have to be ready and willing to accept the fact that the market goes up and down. Well, this investment never goes down. It is the only safe investment for eternity. So when I give, not only does it encourage others, but it also is an investment in eternity. But there's a third thing. It pleases God. At the moment I have this need, and at the moment I have all I need, I should say, and more, I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. When I give generously, when I serve others, when I look for opportunities to help, this is a sweet-smelling aroma. It is an offering to God. In the Old Testament, a lot of their worship included burning incense, They would put meat on a a flame. Uh, I I love God because He likes the smell of of a grill, Uh, basically. I mean, uh, meat on a grill, God likes it. Who doesn't like it? I mean, you go by um, that horrible restaurant, um, Cookout. Uh, You go by Cookout, and you smell the smell, or Burger King, you know. It smells better than it tastes. It's kind of how it works. But the smell... And, and so, that, that's what he's talking about here. There's this, there's this aroma. It's pleasing to God. It, God enjoys it when we give. It, it's, it's like he's saying, that's my boy. She's just like me. That's, that's how I am. I'm a giver, and, and they're a giver. And so, this, it's a beautiful thing because they're looking just Like me, it's this act of worship. God is so pleased when we give. Jesus said that even when we give a cup of cold water in His name, it's like giving to Jesus Himself. Anytime we do something for God, it is giving to God. And it is an act of worship, and He sees it that way. Generosity should be a hallmark of what we do as Christians. When I go into restaurants and I have servers and Usually, servers, for the most part, um, are young people. And when, when I see them, I think to myself, that could, be, that could be my son, that could be my daughter. And if that was my son or my daughter, I, I want, I'd want the patrons to be generous, and so I'm generous. Because I want them to know if they were to ask, you know, hey, why were you so generous? Hey, th- this is how God treats me, and so I want to treat you the same way. We, we're generous, it is an act of worship. It's an encouragement to others. It's an investment in the future. Now what we have to understand about this gift, about this promise, is that the source is God. My God will supply all your needs. My God. He is the one. He has these resources and He's willing to serve. In fact, here it says in 1 Peter, give all your worries and care to God for He cares about you. And I don't know who in the room today has a lot of worries, but... This verse is for you. This verse is for me. You know, I came in today with some worries, got some things going on. We need to understand that God takes care of us, He's not surprised, He's not baffled, He's not upset. We get worried about things, He's not worried about things. Why would God take this on? Why would God promise to supply all our needs? I'll tell you why. Here's the answer. He's a loving, caring, generous, consistent, capable Father. And you may have never had a loving, caring, generous, consistent, capable Father. You may have never had one, but you can have one, and you do have one if you follow Jesus. He takes on that responsibility because He loves us. When my first daughter, Amaris, was born, it was March 27th. That's a Saturday. That's during March Madness. Kentucky was playing uh, Florida State. I had the television on while Miriam was giving birth or, you know, and, and making a lot of noise. I had to turn, the, you know, I had to turn it up. I couldn't hardly hear. Uh, very annoying. I mean, you'd, I said, could you keep it down? And uh, so, turn it up. Anyway. When Amherst was born, and they let me hold her, it, your world changes. It's like, oh, 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 whoa, 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 now, now I'm responsible. I, I'm responsible for this little, this little, this little gal. And then we had a, a second, and a third, and a fourth. We couldn't figure out why they kept coming, uh, but there they are, uh, four, four of them. And every time, it was like oh, this is my responsibility. And here they are in their 20s, and you know something? They're still, in some ways, my responsibility. They they still are. I thought they got off the payroll when they got married. Evidently not. They're still a little bit of my responsibility. And when they have a need, you know something? My daddy's heart says to me, I need to provide. What can I do? And I'm... So far from a perfect father. We have a perfect father who's loving and caring and generous and consistent and capable. And and he looks at us, those of us who follow him, and and he he says, oh, they have a need. And he's a generous father. Now, the scope is this. Um, The source is God. The scope is all my needs. My God will meet all your needs. Now, it doesn't say all your wants. We get this confused sometimes. It's like, okay, well now I don't have to really work. I can be lazy. I can goof off. Or he's going to give me everything I want. It doesn't say he's going to give you everything you want. He says he will supply all your needs. I watched this show called Alone. Anybody watch that? Alone? Oh, yes. Jake, that doesn't surprise me. Okay. The premise of the show is they drop you in the middle of nowhere. How many things do they give them? Five? Do you remember? Ten different things: uh, uh, a gill net to catch fish. You might have a, a little hatchet. You can take a fire starter, that kind of thing. But basically, they drop you in the middle of nowhere. This season, it was in uh, was in Antarctica, um, the Arctic. It was in the Arctic. <laughs> Does anybody know where the Arctic is? Uh, north. Uh, anyway, uh, it was in the Arctic, and they drop you out there with these ten little things. And it's not like you know, they, you get to take a backhoe. It's, it's like it's got to be little stuff. Things you can carry in a backpack. And they drop you out there. And the premise is, you figure out how to live on your own. Thus the name alone. There's nobody around. Nobody there to help you. And so the whole show is, how long can you last by yourself? So, they've got to figure out how to get food. They've got to figure out how to get water. They've got to figure out how to get shelter. They've got to figure out how to have fire. You want to know something? That's about all you need. Honestly. Food water, shelter, fire. And so it gets colder and one guy lasted 100 days this time and I mean that guy could have gone forever. And um, we live in a world that's very materialistic and we think we need lots of things. I like that show because it kind of grounds me and it reminds me. You know, I probably don't need nearly as much as I think I need. There's a there's a process in life. I saw some of you bring your kids in today and put them in, uh, in children's ministry over in the preschool area. Um, and when they're little like that, when they're about two, they have words that they like to say, mine, you know, me. And if I'm playing with a toy and that kid wants it, they'll come and take it and there's, there's this conflict. And, and you know they're maturing when they stop that. When it's not all about them. They're maturing when they don't always have to get their way. Now when they're little, they they, they want their way. They just want it, want it, want it. And when we're young in Christ, we just want our way. But there's a maturing process. And in the process, we get to a place where we don't have to have everything. My God will supply all my needs. My needs. James puts it this way. It's brilliant. You don't get Because you don't ask. Now, here we are, we're in America, and I think to myself sometimes when I'm about to pray for something, I think God has a lot on His plate. You think you're busy. Uh, He's got billions of people He's looking after. And I think to myself, God's got a lot of things going on, and this is a first world problem, and... He's got people that really need him much more than me, and so a lot of times I just don't ask. And I'm not sure that's fair to God, because God has said, "I'll supply all your needs." He doesn't say, "I'll supply all your needs if you're in a third world country," or, "I'll supply all your needs if they." I'll supply all your needs. And I don't have because I don't ask, and so I've started to pray, Lord. I know you're busy, and. I know you got a lot of things going on. I know there's a lot of people who have bigger and much better needs than mine. But this is what I need today. The rest of the verse says, or if you ask, you don't receive because you ask for the wrong reason. You want these things only to please yourself. And so I have to check my heart. Lord, am I just asking for this because it's the easiest or it's, you know, it's just selfish? Is it not a mature request? but I can still ask. Here's what I know. God has promised those who are generous that He'll supply our needs. That might be a physical need, that might be financial need, might be a relational need. For me, that means, okay, I can ask. Now, I don't know if He's going to give it to me the way that I want it because He knows what's best. And that's that's up to Him. He knows what's best. The source is God. The um, scope is all my needs. And then the supply is limitless. In uh, he's, He will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches. Now, what it doesn't say is out of His glorious riches. If... I were to write Jeff Bezos of Amazon, he's worth, by the way, he's worth about $100 billion, give or take a few billion. $100 billion. richest man in America. Uh, by the way, I looked up the top ten. Three of them are Walton kids from Walmart fame. It's pretty good. Uh, anyway, uh, if I write Jeff Bezos and I said, hey, I need $1,000, and he writes a check, $1,000, and he sends it to me, he would never even miss that. That would be giving to me... Um, not according to his riches, but out of his riches. That's tip money, $1,000 for a guy that has $100 billion. But if I develop a relationship with Mr. Bezos, and he really likes me because what's not to like? And uh, he gives me a blank check, writes it out, Joseph Vest, uh, date, blank, he signs it, and then he says, do with this what you wish. I'm giving you according to my riches. All right, th- That's what this says. Maturity is believing that God will take care of my needs. I don't have to fight. I don't have to pull it out by the roots. I just, I believe that God is going to take care of me. Here's what I know. God has taken on the responsibility to care for me. I've got three daughters. I have one that lives in Michigan. I have one that lives in Knoxville. And I have one that lives in Cincinnati. Along, kind of along I-75, basically. And if they come to visit, they came to see us, and they're on the way home, and their car breaks down, I don't just leave them stranded. If they need me to come get them, uh, if it's 2 o'clock in the morning, I get in my car and I go get them. God doesn't leave us stranded either. Again, I'm an imperfect father, and I know to do this. Our Heavenly Father isn't going to leave us abandoned or stranded. But sometimes it doesn't work out the way that we think it's going to. This is a picture of a a vessel that carries those cargo containers. Back in the two thousands, early 2000s, Somali pirates around Somalia would uh, would hijack these, these freighters with these cargo containers on there sometimes they would take stuff out of the cargo containers. sometimes they would just steal the ships there was a guy by the name of Mark Wilson he worked for the uh, African Inland Mission and the African Inland Mission is this really great organization that they send supplies into Central Africa uh, to help missionaries there a lot of times it's medical stuff medical needs and so Wilson was just he had just gotten the job basically of loading these containers It's kind of the logistics of it was he had to figure out how to load these containers. And you don't want to waste any space in a container. And so you got to figure out how do I load it high and tight. That's what you're supposed to do, high and tight. We got a call and the guy said, hey, man, I've got some Band-Aids. I've got some Band-Aids. Could you use some Band-Aids? It's like, yeah, I mean, anything medical we can use. And so the guy said, okay, I'll send over some boxes of Band-Aids. What he thought he was going to get was a couple of boxes of Band-Aids. What he got was two trailer truck loads full of Band-Aids. Just boxes and boxes and boxes of Band-Aids. He didn't kind of know what to do with them. But he had loaded one of these trailers, one of these containers, and he had some room right next to the door. And so to fill in the space, he just loaded these boxes of Band-Aids. He thought to himself, you know, who couldn't use a Band-Aid? Everybody needs a Band-Aid. And we'll send them to Central Africa and people will have Band-Aids. It would be great. Those missionaries can use those. Was kind was of thinking on this. And he... Put the container on the ship and the ship was heading toward the port and Somali pirates hijacked it. And they began to rifle through these different containers. Now this medical equipment in the rear was really, really expensive. Very valuable. But when the pirates opened up the the container, all they saw were boxes and boxes of band-aids worth little or nothing. So they just passed it along. And this is the way God works. Sometimes we just don't understand what He's doing. That doesn't mean He doesn't understand what He's doing. It just means we don't get it. And Mark Wilson said, I was annoyed that I had to put these boxes on here because it's like, what are they going to do with these boxes of Band-Aids? Really, it's not vital. But God knew what He was doing. And here's the point. Maturity in Christ is a, pl- is a place in my life where I say, I believe God knows what He's doing. He'll supply all my needs, whether it's the way I want it supplied or not. He has, me, he has responsibility for me. He'll take care of me. Mat- maturity in Christ is, okay, I believe this. I believe He knows what He's doing. I believe that He'll take care of me. I'm going to trust Even though I can't see, I'm going to trust that He's going to take care of me. We live in a chaotic time. A lot of things going on. But God, if you are a follower of Jesus, has responsibility for you. And our trust has to be not in what I can do. doesn't can't be in what some politician can do. My trust is that God will supply all my needs. Because I'm in Christ, He'll supply all my needs. Let's pray. Father, we really don't deserve You taking care of us. We haven't earned it. But because You love us, You've taken on this responsibility. We are grateful for that, and we thank You for it right now. And I pray that we would walk in that truth that, Lord, You are taking care of us. I pray, Lord, that we would lay our worries at your feet. That we would believe that you're in control and that you'll take care of things. We pray this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.